Marshall Media Montage, episode 23. Going to close out this year with uh, a little bit of food, a little bit of toys, a little bit of cartoons. So here it is coming at you and a little bit of Slayer in the background. I figured I would just, you know, just play some heavy-ass thrash metal. Uh, I guess that's just me. But uh, thanks for sticking around for the last uh, month, month and a half that I've been doing this. Uh, here it is, episode 23. Let's go. Well, episode actually 23 this time. Yeah, because I know what number I'm on, right? <laughs> Apparently I didn't the last two episodes. <laughs> Technically episode 23. But before I begin, let's uh, play this commercial. I think that was uh, Sebastian Bach from Skid Row singing in the background. Crossfire! No, I'm just kidding. It really wasn't. But uh, <laughs> it's such a uh, it's such a cool-ass commercial for a board game that I'm going to be talking about. Crossfire, the board game, created by Milton Bradley in 1971, of all things. I totally thought it was strictly just a 90s thing, but I'll get into that here in a minute. Oh, I'll come back to that in relation to the uh, years difference, but the object of the game was to score goals by uh, pushing one of the two pucks into the opposing player's goal. The task is accomplished by shooting uh, small metal bearings using the attached guns. Yeah, essentially a Red Rider BB gun. You shoot your eye out, Ralphie, but here, shoot it into the goal first. <laughs> the earlier versions were uh, flat, the board, uh, but now in the 90s, the board game was uh, dome-shaped, causing the bearings to roll and move much more easily into the player's bin or goal. Contrastly, uh, causes the puck to rest at the edge of the board, unfortunately, uh, as stated. As of the new Millennium board in the 2010s, apparently, uh, release, they changed this to being sloped with a shallow grade, um, converting the, uh, or excuse me, preventing the puck from sliding into their own goal as much as making it easier to get them away from the uh, border as well. I love the breakdown of the uh, instructions, though. It's just so simple. Just set up in two minutes and playtime is five minutes. It's so stupid. Hell no, bitch. I'm playing the damn game all day. Age is eight and up, apparently, uh, which makes sense because you are essentially playing with a BB gun that doesn't nearly shoot as fast as an actual BB gun, but I just thought it was funny. Gameplay requires one of the... Uh, contenders to score the first three goals in order to win. Now, marketing was badass. It was easily one of the best commercials in the 90s for kids. I mean, clearly I just played it and it's it still holds up. I love it. The commercial campaign for the product may be arguably its best uh, known aspect compared to the game itself, portraying the game in an apocalyptic uh, future setting. Uh, when the battle commences, it was known as the ultimate challenge. The... Uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's just so dumb. The hero in the exchange was portrayed by a, uh, uh, in relation to the commercial, the hero in the exchange of uh, playing the game was portrayed in a young uh, Tim Keenan Maynard. No, I'm just kidding. Shout out to Tool though. It's just Tim Maynard. It's not Tool. Fuck yeah though. Tool kicks ass. Uh, Tim was a young Shakespearean actor who transitioned to daytime soap operas later on in life, but will be remembered in my book for his post-apocalyptic, dangerously addictive game commercial. 
that's all I really was able to find on the game. I mean, it's super simple setup, super easy to play, and the commercial is badass. Now, transitioning to the next thing I'm going to talk about. Here it is. Well, here it is. Next segment, I'm going to be talking about this cartoon. Actually, the animation to the uh, theme reminded me a lot of uh, kind of like how uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven looked. It was very similar to that kind of drawing style. But anyway, moving on. Oh, boy. Where am I? Okay, here we go. Tailspin uh, first aired in 1990 on Disney Channel and later part of Disney Afternoon, featuring Baloo the Bear from the 1967 film Jungle Book, Louis the Orangutan, as well as Shere Khan the Tiger, uh, included from the uh, film into the uh, cartoon series. The name is a play on of Tailspin, the rapid descent of an aircraft in a steep spiral, and uh, the fact that tail, you know, is an alliteration to a word for a story. The uh, show was... uh, one of nine on Disney Afternoon, the others being uh, Darkwing Duck, DuckTales, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, Goof Troop, Bonkers the Cat, which I definitely want to touch on. I haven't seen that cartoon in a while. Like I said before, the video game is fucking awesome. Uh, Quack Patch, Aladdin, also a great video game as well, and an iconic film, uh, and Timon and Pumbaa from Lion King. There was only one season and 65 episodes in total, but according to IMDb, I saw that it says 66 episodes. So, I mean, you be the judge, I guess. Aired from September 7th, 1990 to August of 1991. The series was developed by two writers who were the producers and editors as well for the show. The inception of the show is that of the writers were on a deadline and pitched how about we do a story on Baloo the Bear since they had no pitch really thought of at all already. Which made sense since the film just theatrically, theatrically, wow, theatrically just (laughs) re-released. And uh, they decided that Blue would work for an air cargo delivery service and a concept also featured on DuckTales. So in order to keep tension the show, they replaced the human Mowgli from Jungle Book with the anthropomorphic uh, bear Kit, Kit Cloudkicker, inspired by a character on uh, Cheers, actually. But her name, I'll, I'll explain that later. Uh, on the other characters, uh, they were c- created as uh, Rebecca, voiced by Sally Struthers, deciding last minute to make the show a period piece. The two writers made the show in a neutral zone by Rick Blaine's uh, bar in Casablanca, where King Louis, uh, the orangutan, was in a uh, place of Rick instead. The decision to add Cher Khan was not until later in the show's development. 
Funny enough, Magon and Zazlove, the two writers of the show, took inspiration from Miyazaki's 89 manga, Hikote Jedi, or Jedi, it sounds like Jedi, it's probably Hidai, I, I obviously don't know kanji, uh, about a pighead man who flies a seaplane and fights air pirates. Two years later, Tailspin uh, premiered and Miyazaki releases an anime called Porco Rosso, which seemed it took cues from Tailspin. So pretty cool that it all kind of came together in a full circle effect since Miyazaki later did Disney's Ghibli and made a lot of films. Uh, once again, it all makes sense because the series was animated by Disney Japan Incorporated and Han Ho Hyung uh, Up Company, I believe, LTD. And, and another note, when the pilot aired, uh, the first episode, Plunder and Lightning, the uh, first episode was later re-edited into four and a half, or excuse me, four half-hour episodes for uh, reruns. The reruns of the show after it ended, ran until September of 94, and then a year later, October of 95, it began reruns on the two-hour slot of Disney's Block Party. So the show, once it was done, it was taken off the air, put back on the air, and then had constant edits. It was kind of unfortunate for the show uh, later on in life, of course. Later on in 1998, it aired on Toon Disney until June, or excuse me, January of 2006. Throughout the history, it has been subject to numerous edits, as I stated, even through 2007 to 2008, when it was aired once again. 18 years later after its uh, lifespan. The synopsis of the show is that of Baloo, a cargo freight business, he loses money and then essentially starts up a hire, uh, as in flying, you know, higher up for hire, when uh, Kit, Cloud Kicker, his new boss, takes uh, essentially over for him as uh, the boss. And it takes place in the 1930s. There's action and adventure uh, that takes place. Uh, the, he's essentially the contemporary Indiana Jones in cartoon form, if you will, more or less, is kind of how I viewed it. You know, that's basically the 66 episodes in a nutshell. There were eight VHS tips. Uh, wow, what the fuck is wrong with my English? There were eight VHS tapes containing 15 episodes released in the U.S. Now, DVD releases, there was three volumes featuring all 65 episodes. See, it, it keeps going back and forth. Well, I'll explain that there's, I think, like two lost episodes here. I'll get to that momentarily. Volume two even features the controversial episode, as I just said, uh, Last Horizons, which was never re-aired on Syndicate, but re-aired on Toon Disney, apparently. And once again, like DuckTales, their series Volume 3 was a Disney Movie Club exclusive, but has been since sold at Walmart since January of 2015. Uh, in other news, as of November 2019, it is on Disney+, Plus, with the exception of the banned episodes Last Horizon and Flying Dupes. I couldn't find any information on that, so I'm not necessarily sure why. Uh, receptively, IGN rated the show as 81 Best Cartoon in the Top 100 Animated Series of All Time. Now, merchandise-wise, there were three different games, one being a shoot-'em-up on NES, made by Capcom, also on the Game Boy as well. And they were both pretty cool. A little slow, if you ask me, in regards to uh, shmup action, but you could fly left or right and upside down and shoot, which was a unique uh, kind of game mechanic at the time. The other two were platformers in 1992 for the Sega Genesis and Game Gear, as well as the TurboGrafx-16 version, which I didn't necessarily know that they had that. I'll have to cover that uh, later on. Uh, the show rates on IMDb at a 7.5 out of 15,000 reviews, which the uh, score is is fair, but I'd figure uh, more reviewers in, in my mind. It was a cool little show that lives on. And trivially, I have a, a little bit of trivia and factoids here, not much. Jim Cummings did many of the uh, male voices on the show, nearly 40 in all, which is insane. So talk about schizophrenia, right? Or split personality, same shit. Jim 
Uh, Megan, one of the uh, series writers, uh, mentions in an interview that Kit Cloud Kicker was actually inspired by Luke Skywalker, the hero in Star Wars, which Disney now owns. So once again, full circle complete. Lastly, for trivia, Baloo was the only character in every episode. Personally, I think I recalled the NES game much more so than I do the TV show, but I'm glad that I ended up uh, researching this and looking you know, further into it because I was curious. And I actually own the DVD. I think I only have volume one, and it's a purple uh, sleeve. It's pretty cool, comparative to uh, the NES, which had a purple uh, cover art sticker. And I do have a, a porcelain share con tiger uh, desk piece that sits up here with me when I do this uh, series. So more than enough reason for me to rewatch the show again and fire up the old uh, NES VCR and play a classic shooter, right? Now switching over to this uh, topic, here it is. This is a little segment in between uh, some of my episodes that I like to call games that I'm playing. And here is the uh, theme song for the game that I'm playing right now. I will play it in the background while I talk about the game. <clears throat> oh, just listen to that. Such classic chip tunes. Okay, I've been playing mostly uh, Super Cyborg, which is a throwback to an old-school, non-stop, hardcore, run-and-gun uh, action shooting game. Similar to that of Contra on the NES, you are an elite battle cyborg sent to investigate a series of anomalies and mysteri- on a mysterious island. The merciless and powerful alien known as only the Xerxeal lifeform, which has been awakened by uh, unwitting scientists, now all humanity is in danger. So shoot and run through seven levels filled with hordes of enemies and huge puzzle-like boss battles. Uh, released April 1st of this year, 2022, the last day of the year. Uh, published by Dragius Games. The file itself to download is only 195 megabits, so that's next to no space by all means. You have, I'm sure anybody has space on modern consoles to uh, download this one, and I highly recommend it. It is also available... Uh, on Steam, PS4, and Xbox One, other than Switch, which, as I said before, that's what I'm playing it on is my Switch. I downloaded a fair amount of uh, cheap games that are, you know, 8-bit, 16-bit reminiscent. They're all relatively affordable. I think the most was maybe $14.99. It was the uh, Angry Video Game Nerd uh, 1 and 2 game, which I will definitely cover and talk about that uh, in the near future. Uh, I think I only paid $7.99 for this one, which is pretty cheap for an 18-16-bit throwback as you can tell, it's great music. Uh, easy controls. You can even charge your uh, weapon much into the same vein that of uh, the Blue Bomber uh, Mega Man. And like Contra fashion, you can't go left after you uh, reach a certain spot when you're moving right. And if you jump down too far below, you will die, just like in the old Contra games. There are even unique power-ups, that of like a machine gun, a laser, and as well as spread, just like Contra, as I said before. Or some sort of like electronic like beam orb thing, which is pretty cool when you ch- uh, charge it up too. Plus an invincibility invincibility power up, and uh, I'm on level three or four, which I believe is about halfway done, as I stated. Uh, highly recommended for lovers of the contra metal slug genre, those types. Well worth your time. The music is a banger, as you can tell. So get out there and shoot some aliens. I admit, all of this uh, killing aliens has me fired up, and I'm thirsty for the next piece of history. So here it is. Let's go. Well, here it is. Now I'm thirsty for this commercial. Mondo, Mondo, 
<laughs> it's your world. Enjoy this 50% less sugary drink compared to other <laughs> competitors' drinks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So Mondo's drinks. I don't have much to say. This will probably be maybe a two to three minute segment at most. So Mondo's, a line of fruit flavored beverages marketed towards kids. Clearly, manufactured by Jelsert Company, production began in 1991 and ended recently in 2021 or 2022. Apparently, Wikipedia couldn't make up its mind in regards to when the company ended. Uh, Mondo resembled Kool-Aid and the uh, other discontinued uh, beverage, Betty Crocker's Squeeze-It, sold in six packs of 6.75-ounce recyclable plastic containers. The brand, the band, the <laughs> that'd be interesting. The uh, brand produced 11 flavors and only eight advertised on the website, apparently. Chillin' Cherry and Chillin' Berry, Citrus Punch, Global Grape, Strawberry Kiwi Splash, Legendary Berry, jeez, such, wow. Uh, Outstanding Orange, Pineapple Punch, Primo Punch, Sour uh, Apple, and Watermelon Wipeout. Such 90s nostalgic names, of course. It also, as I said before, because I thought it was kind of funny, has 50% less sugar than leading fruit drinks, uh, you know, in relation to sales like that of uh, the Hug Barrel or uh, Capri Sun, per serving, that is. Uh, I, I always remembered uh, the artwork on the uh, packaging, the cool lettering, the little whirl that was on there and the spiral and just super cool colors. And it definitely appealed to uh, me as a kid for sure in that time. It will be remembered in my mind and, you know, up until I have dementia, clearly I forget about the drink entirely or forget my name for that matter or forget to use the bathroom that day. <laughs> this drink needs something to be paired with, though. I'm a little hungry for so how about... Oh, man, those Mondo drinks need to be paired up with uh, a little thing of yogurt. So here's the commercial. Welcome back to the creation station. This awesome location is where we kids find all the tasty ingredients for Dan and Sprinklin. Creamy yogurt with rainbow sprinkles. Now let's move on to the fruits of our label. Up there is the cherry picker. Here, strawberries and a mint hit. Dude, that's awesome. The uh, commercial was like Willy Wonka meets like a Tool music video meets like Jans Vankmeyer, the Russian like stop motion. That was actually kind of a cool commercial. <laughs> Probably one of the coolest ones I've watched so far, actually. But uh, I don't actually have very much information on the uh, Sprinklin's yogurt product other than what I found from an L.A. Times uh, magazine uh, excerpt from 1993. So bear with me. This is it. This will be an odd topic, as I said, only because I could barely find nothing on the product. Uh, it was a four-pack uh, yogurt launch. Uh, Dan and Sprinklin's ran from 1995 until 2001 with flavors strawberry banana and cherry vanilla initially in four-ounce serving uh, cups, each topped with clear plastic rainbow hard candies or excuse me, rainbow-hued candies, sprinkles, duh, not hard candies. What is this, fucking ring pop yogurt? No. What's not to love as a kid? I mean, everybody, you know, in their adolescenthood loved crazy cool colors and candy. So, of course, the marketing worked. And everybody remembers the creation station, which was in the commercial. At the time, in 1991, uh, between... Uh, ages 4 to 12, according to the uh, magazine or uh, article excerpt, if you will, um, kids spent around $8.6 on whatever the hell they could afford at the time, which is incredible. 
even for a 1991 standards. Uh, Dan and the brand from France tried to make yogurt fun without abandoning their brand uh, reputation for making health, healthful uh, foods. Danon saw the importance and need for kids to play, so the product presented a way for a child that they might say to their parents, it looks like it's a lot of fun, so therefore they're going to end up seeking out the product when they go to the market with their parents, and clearly it worked because I ate them all the damn time. The yogurt itself uh, launched uh, with $13 million and is available or was available at the time nationwide for only $2.19, I believe for a four-pack which is actually a pretty good price. But then again, obviously inflation nowadays, I mean, it's probably, I don't know, six to $8 a pack now, if it's still sold. In the end, it wasn't chocolate or peanut butter or cookies and cream. It was clearly just a healthier alternative for uh, kids to enjoy yogurt with radical sprinkles to crunch on. <laughs> well, I'm beat from uh, everything sugar being Mondo and uh, sprinklings. So uh, let's end on this topic. Well, before I decide to call 2022 the year a close, I like to talk about this iconic toy and cartoon series that was a spinoff from the toy. So cool. I definitely remember the commercial much more so than I really remember playing with the toy. Uh, but I'll get to that momentarily. Okay. Thingmaker is what it was originally called. What a stupid name. That's like calling a chair. Hey, can you go grab, you know, can you go grab me the four leg sitting device, please? Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. Like what the hell were they thinking? Okay. So as it is, I'm talking creepy crawlers, an activity toy made by Mattel beginning in 1964. The toy consists of die-cast metal mounds, molds, excuse me, not mounds. Now I'm hungry for mounds. I want some dark chocolate almonds. <laughs> and die-cast metal molds resembling various bug-like creatures into which liquid is poured a chemical substance called plastigoop. Uh, coming in assorted colors, the mold is heated into a whopping 390 degrees Fahrenheit in an open-face electric hot plate oven. The plastic goop is cured by heat when cooled by, uh, or excuse me, when just naturally cooled, it forms a semi-solid rubbery replica that can be removed from the mold. Uh, now owned by Jack's Pacific, which I'll get into a little later. Introduced in 1963 as Mattel's vacuum maker set, Creepy Crawlers was essentially a spinoff from that. Toy Max brand uh, bought uh, the idea, or excuse me, brought back the idea in 1992, basically a decade later in New York. Having stricter safety regulations in place, which makes sense because a fucking oven just, yeah, that's ridiculous. Now using a light bulb powered magic making quote unquote heater with a heat trigger door design to remain closed until the mold uh, cooled to be, or excuse me, cooled down and was cool to the touch to be handled. The newer formula, Plastic Goop, had varieties to choose from. Glow in the dark, scented, glitter, stretch, and eraser, uh, among many others. I just mentioned those. In 1997, even Jurassic Park-themed molds came about, but in 2001, Toy Max tried again. The revival was brief, to say the least. Jax picked up the uh, company in 2006, and in 2007 released Pokemon-themed molds. 
as of 2012, before uh, Kmart went out of business, they were still on shelves, creepy crawlers, as well as uh, on Target shelves. Now, the toy even inspired a cartoon series in 1994 produced by Saban Entertainment, a uh, U.S. syndicated uh, television show. Uh, it was passed to uh, Disney in 2001 when uh, Disney acquired Fox Kids Worldwide. Sadly, it is not available on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it does have two seasons and only 23 episodes running from October 4th, to 1994 to March 30th of 1996. The premise is that of a kid, uh, Chris Carter, is interested in magic. He works at a magic store. He builds a magic-making oven. I know I'm so tired of saying magic. And creates uh, three creatures. Two of them are good. One is evil and tries to use the magic maker uh, himself in order to conquer the world. And Chris stops his evil clutches pretty much each episode, more or less. That is the premise of the show. Uh, obviously, they keep making other creatures good and evil. And, you know, obviously, therefore, that's why it's known for its other creatures as well, not just the primary uh, three. The show was heavily sponsored at the time by Saban's Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Shout out to them. And Toy Max products like Incredible Edibles and VR Troopers. I vaguely remember that show as well. Uh, I believe in my neighborhood at the time, there was a neighbor, I think literally right next door to me, he had the uh, green and orange oven. And it was a cool commercial, uh, which is definitely a lot cooler in my mind compared to the cartoon. Hey. <clears throat> compared to, uh, you know, the cartoon was a lot cooler uh, in my mind compared to the actual toy. The commercial was also really cool as well. I recall watching it with a different neighbor down the street. And it reminded me of Monsters in My Pocket on NES, which was a great action beat-em-up platformer. So thanks for hanging on with me for episode 23. So see you next year. And if by next year, I mean perhaps tomorrow or in a day or two. Good night, everybody. Thanks for the love and support. Appreciate it. Closing out this year, uh, episode 23, I covered some food, some cartoons, and some toys. Thanks again, as always the support for all my friends family just much love and much obliged thank you for all the uh you know people that have been with me uh this year my buddy chase my buddy rich my buddy austin and my buddy uh nathan for uh doing episodes with me it's been a lot of fun and i hope uh, i can bring other people onto the show next year and uh looking forward to doing it thanks again for the support enjoy your night be safe happy new year everybody